morning, church. Sorry, I haven't, I haven't preached in a while, and so uh, I don't know if I remember how to do this. So we'll, we'll do our best together, and we'll have a little fun this morning. But I want to welcome everyone this morning, whether you are in person or you're joining us online. Uh, and for those of you who are new with us, my name is Derek, and I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. And we are so happy that you are worshiping with us this morning. And if you're, if you're a visitor, we hope that you do feel welcomed. And if you have been wandering or searching for a spiritual place uh, to call home, we would love for you to consider joining what God is doing here at Zion. And so let's get this party started, as the youths would say. Uh, you may not know, but I actually speak fluent teenager. I've mastered the lingo. And so if any of you are looking to learn this valuable skill, maybe to connect or communicate with your children or grandchildren, then please find Amanda or me after the service and we'll get you signed up to volunteer at the youth program where you will get a crash course on what it means. Because we're, we're looking for leaders and bro, I promise it's gonna be lit, no cap. See, that's what you would learn. That's what you would learn uh, if you joined us. And all the kids cringed and they left and didn't come back next week. But that's okay, they're used to me. So I promise no more of that. But uh, anyway, I can't speak for anyone else, but I absolutely love worshiping and spending time with Jesus in the park. At, at the heart of our community, surrounded by our bustling little city, this is my favorite place to preach. There is so much life happening all around us. I just feel so revitalized when I look out into this crowd see all these people, it's just truly awesome to see everyone coming together and worshiping God. Such an awesome feeling. Now, I'm not oblivious to all the distractions that happen while in the park because there's plenty of things to distract us. Whether it be your cousin or nephew getting injured in the park, I hope he's doing okay. Is he doing all right? All right, I got a thumbs up from my aunt that he's doing great. So there are a lot of things that can distract us, whether it be Planes flying overhead, uh, a ridiculously loud and noisy swing. Uh, maybe it's kids chasing after bubbles. Maybe it's motorcycles out enjoying the Sunday morning air. One time a bird landed on the stage while I was preaching, distracted me for like a whole minute. It took forever for me to get back on track. Uh, over the 4th, I went to go uh, pray, and all of a sudden, you know, we heard that, eh, come get your funnel cakes from the funnel cake machine. You know, so I was trying to pray kids off to camp and that alarm went off. So there are a lot of things that can distract us in life. But with all that said, this is kind of how life plays out. There is nothing in life that is simply all good besides Jesus, of course. Nothing is ever going to be perfect, especially when it comes to humanity. History reveals that we are going to find a way to mess it up. Pages upon pages of scripture back up this notion. The ups and down commitment to God of the Israelites in the Old Testament is a perfect example. We will find a way to mess it up. No matter how much we love God, we're still going to struggle. We're still going to sin. We're still going to fall short of his glory. And yet, God still calls us into something more. And that is the kind of underlying message, that duality, I would like to discuss this morning as we continue to explore our This Is How I Fight series. 
Understanding this reality should help us better prepare for our battles against evil. So before we jump into the text today, I want, I'd like to share a new spiritual rhythm that I've added to my life that I'm, founding, I'm finding pretty fruitful. This new exercise is actually what has led me to this message today. This summer, uh, I've started running again. You probably can't tell because I just ate a bunch of my Aunt uh, Kathy's rhubarb on vacation, so I probably undid everything that I had been working on, but I have, I have been running this summer. And nothing crazy, just like, you know, two miles, I'll do two miles, like two days in a row, then I'll take a day off, two miles, you know, that type of thing, nothing crazy. But during these jogs, I will play worship music. And for those of you who don't really know me, I'm, I'm actually not much of a music guy. I still don't think Sean, our worship director, knows what to do with that information. I mean, I love Taylor Swift. I love singing la songs loud and terribly and messing up all the words. But otherwise, I usually don't make it a big part of my everyday life. But I know it's super weird. It's okay. You guys can judge me. I get it. But these runs, they help me connect with music. It helps focus my brain and clear my mind to worship God. And then when these runs are over, I normally walk a couple miles and listen to my Bible app, where I'm currently going through the 365-day Bible study from the Bible Project. If you haven't checked out the Bible Project, you should. It's really awesome. But it really has been rewarding. And this winter, I was kind of struggling reading scripture. I don't know, I don't know if it was just from years and years of seminary, but I, I, got, I was finding myself getting tired often. Like I'd like start to fall asleep anytime I started to read. And so I had to shake things up. I had to try something new. And so I, I actually, I, I, I wanna encourage each and every one of you that if you're finding, if you're finding experiencing God to be a struggle, try something different. Try something active. Try something that's outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Maybe it's not exercise. Maybe it's uh, poetry. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it is singing in worship. Whatever it might be, find ways of connecting with God that works for you. But two weeks ago, while I was on one of these walks, uh, I was walking through First and Second Samuel. So when the time came to write this sermon, I just asked myself, what has God revealed to me recently in this time that I've spent with him? What has been something that stood out? What has been something that he got me thinking? And I remember walking, I was walking along a cornfield and, shocker, yeah, I was walking along a cornfield and it just, I was reading the passage we're going to talk about today and it literally hit me and I, I audibly said out loud, said, okay, God, you got me. I hear you. Uh, so that's the passage we're going to talk about today because I felt so seen. I felt convicted. I felt loved and I felt like parented all in one mess, all in one passage. And I don't expect everyone to share that same experience today, but I do hope that you open your hearts and listen to what God might be telling you this morning. And so without further ado, let's, let's uh, jump in today's uh, passage. So throughout the sermon series, we seem to often dip in and out of the story surrounding Samuel, Saul, and King David. I don't think it was overly intentional, but we did. We, for some reason, a lot of our messages kind of focus on this era. And I'd like to continue in that kind of that same tra trajectory today. This is the era of the kings, and it might be the most exciting section of the Bible. 
The Bible, the Bible moves on from the rules and structure and lineage of the Torah. It moves past the destruction caused by the people during the time of the judges. And now we get this sprawling action-adventure narrative. Now, it is still a story that continues to have destruction. But there, but there also seems to be some really awesome moments as well. Israel is becoming a real nation. And these books show the rise and fall of two different kings, Saul and David. Though at times they seem very similar and their stories actually intertwine a lot and they very often parallel with one another. However, their heart is what seems to separate them. Saul was anointed king by Samuel and the, and the presence of the Lord was with him. Then he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the consequences of his actions eventually caught up with him, and his reign came to an end. So today we're going to jump into the book of 2 Samuel, which picks up with King David at the height of his power. He succeeded Saul and eventually became king over all of Israel, and he was God's anointed. But mirroring the story of Saul, we start to see the eventual fall of King David's reign as he wrestles with power, lust, selfishness, and pride. So if you want to follow along with me this morning, please get out your Bible, your Bible apps or open your Bible uh, or go to the Zion app and do the Bible tab. But we're going to be turning to 2 Samuel 12, and we're going to be studying all the verses of 1 through 13. So let's set the scene a little bit. I know a couple weeks ago, I think uh, Jason talked about this, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to recap to set where this story takes place. So King David saw a beautiful married woman named Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop and then using his power, his influence, and his authority, he had her brought to the palace, slept with her, and got her pregnant. He made an attempt to fix his error, but when that didn't work, he decided to have Bathsheba's husband Uriah sent to the front lines of battle where, the, where he knew that his death would be inevitable. It was a planned death sentence. He then took Bathsheba as his wife. And so God then sends the prophet Nathan to reveal to David the consequences of his actions. And that's where we pick up right here. And so Nathan offers up this parable in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 4. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to them, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now first, this section is actually titled, Nathan Rebukes David, in a lot of translations. But you'll, but you'll see how the subtle way in which Nathan actually approaches this situation. He uses a parable to reveal to David a life lesson. He could not go full bravado against a king so if you didn't catch it, Nathan is actually setting David up here. This story is meant to parallel the actions that David took with Bathsheba. David had many wives and money and power, and yet he took Bathsheba and had her husband killed. 
just like how the rich man took the poor man's lamb and presented it as his own. And now, Nathan doesn't scold David. He actually lets him react naturally. So here's David's response in uh, verses 5 through 6. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David issues his own verdict here. This abuse of power, this lack of pity and mercy is bad, and that there needs to be consequences for this evil. He needs to repay the lamb and is deserving of death. And again, this is not from Nathan. This is not God declaring punishment. This is David's own reaction. And as king, this would have been very normal. David would have often had to decide and settle disputes. He would have been very used to issuing punishments. And that's what David's response was. That was his anger towards the injustice. And then this is where Nathan flips the switch. Remembering that Nathan is a prophet of the Lord, meaning he's not a fortune teller as we like to see today or the, like we like to picture at times. No, prophets come to deliver God's word, to express God's divine will for the world. So it continues in verses 7 through 10. Then Nathan said to David, you are this man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is the part of the story that gutted me. It revealed to me so much about the nature of God. When I heard this verse, it was delivered with such great emotion. Like, that's how I heard it. That's how I read it. I gave you everything. And had you wanted it, had you asked for it, I would have given you even more. Now, I want to be clear here. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not believing in God does not ensure that good things will happen. It does not mean that the path will be easier. It does not mean that there won't be consequences for our actions. But God is offering us something more. Sure, it may not have been exactly what David wanted. David lusted after and desired Bathsheba. Instead of being thankful for God's blessings, he took the desires into his own hands. David falls victim to his own pride and selfishness. And God has more to offer than we can even know or realize. God has so much more to offer those who follow him. And David loses sight of this. Though David followed God faithfully for most of his life, he had a weak moment here. I gave you everything and would have given you more. And yet you despised me. 
And then that verse, that, 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 that condemnation from God, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Man, that would be a hard thing to hear. And we're going to reflect on that a little later in the message. But it's a direct call to what was said to Saul and was the beginning of his downfall. So when, fall, when Saul eventually fell, when he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, this is what was said to him. And it marked his downfall, and it, as too, it marks the downfall of David. So let's move on to the, to the punishment, David's punishment. And this is in verses 11 through 13. This is what the Lord says, Out of your household I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your eyes I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this in broad daylight before all of Israel. So how does a powerful king react to such a condemnation from a prophet. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. This section is the main difference between David and Saul. David had a heart for God. And please, don't get me wrong. What David did was horrendous. And this verse shows that there will be consequences for his actions. But his response was repentance. I have sinned against the Lord. And remember, by David's own judgment, he deserved death. And yet God offers him something different. The Lord has taken away your sin. Man, we have a pretty awesome God. And God wasn't just done there. He continues and says, you are not going to die. Certainly, David deserved death, but instead, his sins were forgiven. So what's the big deal here? Reflecting on this verse, I think there's three things that seem to stand out. Or at least I think are three things that we can use in our uh, fight as we resist evil. And I think it's important that I make something very clear here, though. David's actions were not just offenses against Bathsheba and Uriah. They were also offenses against God. Sometimes we only focus on the results of our sins, the consequences of our sins, and don't realize that each time we sin is a rejection and a disobedience to God. That each time we are rejecting the word of God. And remember, rejecting the word of God, that led to the fall of Saul. It led to the fall of David. And the natural implication is that it will lead to our demise as well. So the first takeaway is this idea of power. There's no way to read this passage without seeing how God pushes against this notion of power when it's used inappropriately. The whole ministry of Jesus revealed a heart for the powerless, the downtrodden, the foreigner, the exiled, the lost, the broken. And you got to remember, power is not really the problem here. The fact that the guy was rich wasn't a pro the problem here. It's how it was used. When we live life without pity and mercy... When we become the focus, when we make ourselves the main focus, our pride and our selfishness, our selfish desires, they cloud God's word. 
And this verse showed God's willingness to have given David even more, but David moved from receiving a gift from God to grasping what he desired. There is a difference between giving and like, like receiving versus taking. Gifts are meant to be received, not to be taken. But power, pride, and selfishness often leads us to a posture of taking. The second thing we learned about is this idea of judgment. We do see where followers of God, we must confront other followers of God if they are sinning. Nathan must confront David, and it would have been a terrible task. It would have been extremely scary. David could have had Nathan thrown off the city walls if he wanted to. He could have had him killed. There's other examples of the Bible where uh, prophets were threatened or were abused or mistreated. David could have responded that way. And Nathan knew it, but he still delivered the message anyway. And as a church, we too have a responsibility to confront the sins of others. No matter how hard it might be, it is necessary. James 5, 5, 19 through 20, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. But we need to remember a few important things here. Nathan was sent by God. So before we decide to confront sin, we must make sure that we turn it over to the Spirit, that we are being led by the Spirit to make sure that you are the tool God is planning to use. The flip side is also true. If the Spirit is leading us to act, then we must be prepared no matter how challenging or how awkward. If the Holy Spirit says, I need you to do this, you need to say, yes, Lord. And then lastly, we must speak truth with love, respect, and gentleness. It cannot be done from a place of pride or superiority. It is that understanding that we are needing saving just as bad as the people we are trying to help. This is the heart of God's kingdom. We can't be a church only like a Nathan. Confrontation of sin is not the goal. We must remember the dual nature of this word. I think Martin Luther said it like this, that we are simultaneously sinners and saints. We are not all good or all bad. And then the last thing that I took away from this is this idea of confession and repentance. And I think this final takeaway builds right off of the previous one. And I understand these, are, these, are, these might be big words or like, you know, they're not, maybe they're not words we use every day. But when I, when I talk about the word confession here, it's the acknowledgement that we have sinned and the understanding that we are in need of a savior. And when I use the word repentance, it's this idea of not continuing down the same path. It's not just turning around, but it's turning towards God. And these two words are powerful and they make a huge impact on the story. Because if our goal is, is, is judgment on others, then I feel like we have missed the point of this passage. We must speak truth out of love so that it can lead to confession and repentance and ultimately forgiveness. Because there is great hope found in repentance. 
And so David showed his heart during this passage. He could have reacted poorly, yet David had a dramatic repentance as he came to terms with his own sinful ways. I believe fully well he knew he had done wrong. And more importantly, he knew that he had sinned against God. I was just talking with uh, Jaden right before this started. It was a big difference between what he's allowed to do as king. There was so much that, I mean, he could have done all these things that he did, would have been perfectly within his right as a king. But he sinned against God. It's whenever he put his own earthly kingdom, when he put his own earthly authority and power above the power of God, that's where the mess up happened. And so I believe this idea of understanding where, where we've sinned, where we've gone wrong, I think this is an important part about resisting evil. And I know when we, we think about confession, I know it's not something maybe that our, our, this part of our church does a lot. I know the traditional service we have liturgy where every single week we stand up there and we confess our sins. We do a weekly confession. Here in, here in the park, when we do it, a lot of times it's done during communion. As you walk forward, as you come forward for communion, you should have that heart posture that I am sinful, I am broken, and I need my sins forgiven. And so I probably am not gonna be leading communion next week, but I, I, I do encourage you to have that heart as you come up for communion next week that you you understand that you are broken, that we are sinful, that we need to confess those sins and that we need to repent. Do that during that time. Do that as you make your step forward. The last thing to note is that confession might lead to forgiveness and repentance. However, the effect of sin is still there, even after forgiveness. Even though David confessed his sins and wanted to repent, he still had to deal with the consequences of his actions. That's the reality. Our sins have an effect. Our sins have a ripple effect on the world around us. And just because we ask for forgiveness, just because we, our sins are forgiven, does not mean that there aren't going to still be consequences. So at this time, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up as I bring this uh, sermon to a close. So when I reflect on this passage, I can't in any way understand what David did. The abuse of power, the adultery, the murder. However, this story still feels very much for me. It is not hard to look at the story and not insert my own sin struggles into it. Every time I sin, it's a rejection of God. I could easily ask myself the same question that gets asked to, to, to David. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Why do I despise the word of the Lord and do evil in his eyes? Why do we as a church despise the word of the Lord and do evil in his eyes? This is such an important question. This is the broken and fallen nature of this world. We strive to follow God's will and path. I want to love my neighbor. I want to be honest. I want to show mercy. However, I'm going to fail at it. Just like David, I need God to intervene. 
I love that David immediately confessed his sins. He had a heart of repentance. I hope this is the heart I have when I'm in failure. Understanding and recognizing when we have sinned, confessing that it was wrong, and then repenting, turning towards the one who saves. This helps us stay focused on our need for Jesus. This helps stop prideful and selfish thoughts that foster evil. Confession also takes what is secret and brings it into the light. Sometimes as a community, as people, as brokenness, we like to hide behind our dirty secrets. But we have to hand them over. We have to submit them at the, at the foot of the cross. We have to hand them over to Jesus. We have to call them out and turn from them. This is where our church community can come together to, to support one another, to guide each other back to God, to lovingly help one another, to encourage repentance, helping us realize that we have sinned against our neighbor, that we need to confess both, both to them and to God. There's so much hope found in repentance. And now, I don't know about you, but to me, when I, when I heard this passage, it did immediately make me think of baptism. And I know we have baptism in the lake next week, but it's hard not to see that idea that when we enter the waters of baptism as broken and dirty and filled with sin, in this complete need of a Savior, deserving of death, but in our baptism, Jesus offers us something more, something more than we even understand that we need. Through baptism, we are washed clean and our sins are forgiven. And so I do want to offer this challenge to you this morning. If anyone is feeling that this need to repent, that they need to, to, to wash their sins clean, clean from, from hurt and destruction, then I do invite you to join us next week for baptism in the lake. Even if you've been baptized before, come reaffirm that. And if, and if it's your first time, we invite you to do that as well. If this is your first time kind of accepting Jesus into your hearts, I invite you to do that today out of trust in God. But then I also encourage you in obedience to come get baptized. Come wash those sins free. So I want you to go home and pray about it. And if you feel God is putting that desire on your heart, please come join us in the lake. And now I want to end on this psalm. This was written by David in response to what happened with Nathan. And this is the heart I want us to have as we reflect this week. No need to follow along. No need to just listen. This is David's prayer, his plea, his heart for God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my inequity, and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Would you guys join me in prayer?
Dear Heavenly Father, we just submit to you today. We submit to you as broken, sinful world. Lord, we just come to you and, and ask for your forgiveness. Lord, thank you for having the heart that you had for David. Lord, thank you for having the heart you have for all humanity. Lord, we need you. We deserve death, but you give us life. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we love you. Thank you.